turn my mic on so I can be heard, and everybody else too. Glad you're here tonight. We are starting somewhat of a new section uh, looking at the covenants because we're going to be going into the uh, parts of the new covenant. Uh, we've looked at everything so far as it pertained to the old covenant, but tonight we're going to look at uh, how it pertains to the new. Go away, you bother me. Uh, again, as we begin to look at the parts, part defined is a, a piece of the whole. It is a small piece of the entire whole part or what makes up the entire uh, process. First of all, we look at the, anybody remember the first one? Pronouncements. One of the greatest and most encouraging prophecies of the Old Testament, and I'm going to have you follow with me and turn to these scriptures. Jeremiah 31, you want to be there and hold on to that for, for later on, Jeremiah 31. But it says there, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. That's important. And it's very encouraging for the people back then who heard that. And it's important for us as we read it and look, look backward to that time that was to come. Hebrews chapter 8. Hold on to Jeremiah 31. But Hebrews chapter 8. <clears throat> We're going to be in Hebrews uh, a bit tonight. So you want to have Hebrews kind of at your thumb or your finger or a bookmark of some kind. But in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, it shows that the prophecy of Jeremiah 31 has already been fulfilled. And it speaks to us about why God made a new covenant with His people. Why did God do that? Notice verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 8. We'll start there. It says, But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. Now, why did God find fault with the people? Well, he tells us. He says, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them. They turned away from him, but he turned away from them at the same time. This new covenant and the church that was to come into existence through Christ was not an afterthought. We mentioned this way back when, when we were talking about this uh, under the old covenant and the parts and the pronouncement of that time. But this was not something God had as an afterthought later, but it was really his plan from the very foundation of the world to have a covenant that he would offer through the sacrifice, the human sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. All of the covenants prior to this one were what we, what we refer to as types or shadows of the number one covenant that would come into play. And we see that in Colossians 2.17, where it says the substance is of Christ. Everything else was a foreshadowing, but the substance that was to come is through Christ. The new covenant made the old covenant or the Old Testament completely obsolete. Now, we know what obsolete means, don't we? Uh, obsolete means it's no longer of any value. It is no longer something that we would use because something better, a better model. We don't drive Model Ts today. I don't think anybody here. 
I, I won't even look at you. <laughs> but we don't drive those because there are better models today that are available, that function better for us. Hebrews chapter 8, you're there. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready, ready, ready to disappear. Now, do we understand why the Hebrew writer would say it's ready to disappear? Many people do not understand this, but when Paul wrote this, I believe the Apostle Paul, and so I will say the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he said it was ready to disappear. And the reason is that Jesus had warned them that the destruction of the temple was going to take place in Matthew 24. And in Matthew 23, verse 28... He says there, Jesus is speaking, he says, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Now, there's something important here that I want to point out. Up until this very time, when Jesus spoke that in Matthew 23, he always said, My father's house, speaking of the temple. But now he says, Your house. Why? Because the temple of the Old Testament, even in Jerusalem, in A.D. 30, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, was still under the Old Covenant, and that was God's temple. That's where God dwelt, we might say. But now that the New Covenant had come into play, there's a different temple, and we know what that is, don't we? It's you and me. It's our very bodies that contain the, uh, the housing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the destruction of the temple took place in 70 A.D., and when the temples, when that happened, the temple sacrifices were, were made obsolete. They were done away with. They would never happen again because the temple is now non-existent. People could not go to the temple because it was not going to be built again. Even the Bible tells us that. The temple will never be rebuilt again because, again, Jesus said in Luke 21, 24... Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What are those times? Well, that's under the new covenant. There's only one covenant that can save mankind. Now, there are many covenants that people can choose from today. You can choose the Mormon covenant. You can choose the JW covenant. You can choose the Catholic covenant. You can choose a number of other covenants that mankind has come up with and throws out to people and entices them and, and uh, even wins many people over. But there is only one covenant that can save people today, and that is the covenant that came through God by way of his son, Jesus Christ. God is the author of the most important covenant that man will ever have. Or be a part of. He came up with the precepts because he's the pronouncer of it. He came up with the promises and he offered them to individuals. Now in the old covenant, we remember that to be a part of that covenant, all you had to do was be born into a family. And you were part of God's covenant just by being in that birth process. But in the, old, in the new covenant now, you have a baby. It does not guarantee that child is going to be in the new covenant. Gentiles were strangers to the covenant in the Old Testament, for the most part. And I won't go into uh, that, but they were invited in, and there were certain regulations they had to follow to get in there. But I want us to notice how all the parts of the covenant came to a, 
a peak, we might say, to a culmination in the greatest covenant ever given, that is the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first part of this pronounced covenant by God in the new covenant is the parties involved. The parties involved in the new covenant are the the covenant maker, that is the one who created it, the CEO, we might say, of this new covenant. And it's anyone who wants to get into Christ. Any individual can do this. I believe that's true because the Bible says so. The phrases in Christ, in Him, and into Christ, these are all covenant terms that we see throughout the Scriptures. And if you want to do a study on just those three terms, in Christ or into Him or into Christ, that would be a fantastic study all by itself. Uh, The New Testament teaches us that any young man, old man, any young lady, any older lady can become, through faith and obedience, they can come into this new covenant. And that should be exciting to anybody. Anybody at all. John 3.16, we know this one. John says, For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word agape... Anybody know what that means? It means love, but it's specific. Can I agape you? Everlasting? Okay. Agape is different from uh, any other word in the New Testament speaking of love. Agape, when I see it here in John 3.16, and that is the word there, It is a a love that goes out to a people who do not give it back. God so loved the world who said, we want nothing to do with you, God. Agape is a love that reaches out to the least of these, to the worst of these, and says, I love you. I don't care what you do or have done. I love you, and I want to try to reach you through that love to draw you in to love me back. That's what God did when he sent his son. Now, the Apostle John wrote in Revelation 22, 17, turn there. I want you to see this. Revelation 22, 17. Give me a minute to catch my breath here. The last book of the Bible. The last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22, 17. Notice what it says here. The spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The church. The Spirit and the church say, come. The church says, come. The church is speaking now, saying, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Now, I see a domino effect here. The bride says, come. And those who hear the bride say, come. And those who hear her say, come. So we should always be saying, come. You've got to hear this. You've got to see the love of Christ. Come, they says, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. In Acts chapter 10, and this is the story, or the account, I should say, of uh, Peter with uh, Cornelius. And we know Cornelius was a devout man. Uh, he loved God, but he was not right when it came to the new covenant. 
In Acts chapter 10 there, Peter was amazed that God would even consider allowing the Gentiles to come into this new covenant. You're going to do what, God? Maybe we need to talk. God, you don't seem to understand. These are not your people. This was the idea that Peter, Peter had here. But he makes this statement in verse 34 after he has a dream and he meets with, with Cornelius and, and he understands everything. He says there in verse 34 and following, he says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, there's a key phrase, in every nation, the man or woman, the human, who fears him, that is, respects him, reveres him, holds him high, and does what is right, is welcome to him. That should be exciting again. The new covenant that we see in the scriptures is very clear. Anyone can get into it as long as they fear God, that is, have a great, high, and holy reverence and respect for Him, have faith in His Son that He is the only way to salvation, and obeys His commands, you can get in. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take fame or fortune or looks. And I'm thankful for that. Don't help me out there. <laughs> but whoever desires to be a part of the church that Jesus Christ established and his kingdom can be a part of that. We should all want to be one of the whosoever will. So that's the parties. Let's look at the precepts for a few moments here. The precepts of this new covenant. Now the precepts of the new covenant are found throughout the, the covenant writings that we find in the scriptures. And there's some interesting things here I, I found uh, concerning worldly, I'll just say it, denominationalism that is not right when it comes to the things of God. But uh, Jesus told his apostles in Matthew 28, turn there with me, Matthew 28, and I shared this with the guys at the jail, and I did it up north as well when I shared with the men and women in the alcohol drug rehab places as well as the jail up there. And uh, I point out something very, very uh, simple that's seen here, and most people catch it. I will tell them that I've been preaching for some 35, 36 years this year, since 1985 was my first sermon. I was a sophomore in college, scared to death. I'll tell you that story later. But uh, I tell them that I've been preaching for decades, and I love it. And uh, I tell them that I've been at different churches, different congregations, and, and preaching and teaching and studying and writing and putting things together. And then I'll read this scripture saying, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I will ask them the question, how much authority do I have? How much authority do I, Mark Snow, have? And they'll look at me, and they, I can see the wheels turning, but I said, look at the Scripture, and then look at me. Look at the Scripture, look at me. And they come to the conclusion, you have no authority, do you? And I say, exactly right. Because the Scripture says, all authority has been given to him. I have no authority. Elders have no authority. No Christian has any authority. They have only the responsibility to carry out the authority of Christ. 
Jesus said there, let's look at the rest of this. All authority has been given to me, to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice he said there that again our job as the bride is to say come. And we do that by teaching them to obey. Obey all that I've commanded you. It's not enough for us to obey some of the things that Christ has told us. I told the guys uh, last Wednesday at the jail, I said, the scriptures are not a smorgasbord that we can go to. And we can pick out the meat, but put the broccoli aside. And I won't use the term tomatoes because it will just kick me in the, in the, in the uh, backside. And I don't like that. But <laughs> I will throw the, the tomatoes aside. But we cannot pick and choose things out of the scriptures that we like and toss other things aside that we just don't care for. It's not a smorgasbord. Our master... And our Lord expects us to obey all, all that he's commanded us. And we are not going to know all he commanded by simply reading the Gospels, are we? No, I said something there. We're not going to know all that he commanded us by simply reading the Gospels. That is, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Our Lord expects us to obey all that he commanded and I bring that up for, for a reason I'm going to get into here in a minute. We mentioned one major difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant when we saw the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. In that passage, he says, I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their, their God, and they shall be my people. The reader will be careful to notice that even though God writes his law on their heart, in their mind, in the Holy, on the Holy Spirit as he's in us, that they are still considered laws. The New Testament has laws that we are to follow, precepts that we are to hear. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he was no longer under the old law, but he was under the law of Christ. Christ is a law, has a law, a law that we must follow because, again, he's so much wiser than we are, and we will never outwit him in a game of precepts. The New Testament refers to Christ's law. It's also called the law of the Spirit. It's called the law of God. But it is a law. And it's amazing to me that every Bible student that I've ever spoken with or sat down and studied with people, that they will be very familiar many times with the covenant precepts of the Old Covenant. They will know them. Even many people will say, we need to hold to the Ten Commandments. And I differ with that because we should not hold to the Ten Commandments. We should hold to two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said they come down to two, and there's one in the ten that we do not uh, follow today. 
and that is the Sabbath. The Sabbath was something different than many people understand it to be uh, today. But there are many, what is referred to as Augustinian Calvinists, who believe that the new covenant under Christ has no commands at all. It has no commands. All we have to do is love Jesus. And that's kind of how they will say it. We just need to love Jesus. Let's sing praises to his name for an hour and a half and get that thrill and that, that feeling up and down our spine. The hair raises up. We just leave there feeling so good, but we don't know any more about the word of God than we did when we came in the front door. The term precepts, the terms of the covenant are spelled out very clearly in the New Testament, just as they were under the Mosaic Covenant. If Jesus never, never, never expected us to be obedient to his commands, why would he say in John 14, 15, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If he didn't expect us to keep commandments, why, why would the Son of God, the co-creator of the universe, say that? It makes no sense. We can't get to heaven without loving Jesus Christ. That's a given. But at the same time, Jesus said we can't get to heaven if we don't keep his commandments. He also said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And again in John 15, 10, they're so scattered even in the Gospels. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If there's any place in this universe that I want to be, it's not Mars, it's not Paris, it's not Miami Beach, Florida, but it's in the love of Christ. That's where I want to be. And that's where I want you to be as well. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, and we use this for the Lord's Supper as a communion meditation, but I want to use just the first part of it. Paul said, for I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you. I received from where? From the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, a little bit later, Paul says, the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Everything Paul said that's written down is from God. Every last word. The apostles knew that they were writing, and when, that when they were writing, they were writing the commandments of the king of the universe. And his commandments aren't burdensome. The apostle John tells us why he wrote his epistle in 1 John 5.13. Turn there with me. 1 John chapter 5. First John 5, verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that what? You may know that you have eternal life. See, we can put our head down on our pillow every night knowing because we're obedient to the commands of God in the pronounced covenant that he gave us that if I died in my sleep, I'm fine. But if we can't, we can't find what we're doing 
in line with the scriptures, then we need to really think before we lay our head down and go to sleep because it could be far too late. What sort of things he had written to help the Christians know that they were going to heaven? One thing that he wrote was in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. You're there. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, back just a page or two. 1 John chapter 2, verse, beginning of verse number 3. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a little fibber. That's not what he says. He says he's a liar. Now that's a blunt name to give somebody. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And by this we know that we are, there it is, in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked when he was on this earth. Remember that every covenant has precepts. Every covenant has commands. We know this. And if you keep the precepts of the covenant, then and only then, and only then is God required to keep his end of that contract. You see, we have a contract between us and God. God has the contract. We simply sign it. If we keep it, he promises and he will give those promises. If we back out of that, that contract and don't keep his, his uh, precepts, then he will pull that contract out of the way and he's under no obligation to let us breathe one breath of heaven's air. If we do not keep his commandments of the new covenant, then we are not in him. First John chapter 3 there, while you're there. The Apostle Paul went on to say, or John, I should say, the Apostle John went on to say in 1 John 3, 22 through 24, he said these words. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, there it is again, and He will be in them. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He gave us. The devil doesn't care much for the bride of Christ. The devil doesn't care much that uh, His girlfriend has been stolen from him. We were once friends with the devil because we were not in line with the covenant of God. The devil does not like this new covenant Christian. You can count on this in your life. In Revelation 12, 17, he says, so the dragon was enraged with the woman, that is the bride, the church, and went off to make war with the rest of her children. There again, the church has said, come, you got to hear about this Jesus guy. You got to hear about the, the Christ, the son of God. The devil said, I can't get to her initially, but I will get her children. There will be spiritual abortions take place, even in the church today. The good news is that John tells us that 
His commands are really not difficult. If we really consider it and think about it, the commands of God are not difficult. We make them burdensome. We make them difficult because I don't know if I can love that guy because, and then we make up a whole list of reasons why he won't or why she won't, rather than just loving as we're called. We make it difficult before we take the first step into caring for someone, loving someone, or doing the commands of God. We make it difficult. But he said, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. The very reason the the Mosaic commandments were burdensome is that no one could keep them. No one on God's green earth could keep them except one person, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. They were designed to teach us and to show us, and especially the church today after, after the church was, came into existence, it was to teach us that we are wicked sinners and in desperate need of a Savior. And this is the area that, that at least touches on, as I see it, the lamenting part in our life that says, I am not worthy, but you give me the opportunity to come before you. That is a lamenting that every one of us needs to consider and hold on to in our lives. Galatians chapter 3, we're not going to read this, but Paul teaches us there that the old covenant was a tutor that would bring us to Christ. It was a teacher that would show us the way to the proper understanding. But in the new covenant, Jesus did everything that we could not do, including fulfilling the law. When we receive his imputed righteousness, excuse me, God views us as being perfect. He views us, we are declared by God to be righteous and as perfect as his son. And it's only done through the covenant relationship that we have with him through the, through the word of God. Later in this, uh, these studies of the covenant, we're going to be looking at uh, some of the the ways of staying in the covenant, some of the requirements for remaining uh, in that covenant relationship with him. So I'm going to cut it off there. We've been here about a half an hour, and this next one is a little longer, so I'm going to hold it off right there. And the next time we'll get into the promises that are made in the new covenant. So if there's one here tonight that needs to make a decision for Christ or a Christian that needs to repent, Tonight would be the night to do that, to get right with God, and to do the right thing. Let's stand and sing.